This week on The Zone of Truth, Griff and I welcome on some very special guests to recap book three of Carrying Crown, The Broken Moon. We talk about our favorite moments, tensest battles, fallen friends, and of course, answer some listener questions. I'm your host, Steve, in studio with your GM and my co-host, Griffin. Roll a will save. You're in the zone of truth. And we're back. We are back. And we're done with book three. I know. Finally, I will not get ragged on <laughs> for saying a certain word a certain way anymore. Ever. Uh, yeah. I mean, the end of an era. The end of a... I'm glad to see it in our rear view mirror. Um, it was a fun time, though. I did enjoy book three. It was, it was good. I'm sure there will be another word in book four that you can fuck up just as hard. Horace. Horace Croon. Horace Croon. Horace Croon. Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's probably a given. Um, let's just jump right into it. We do have a lot on the agenda today, Griffin. What are you drinking today? Today I'm drinking a Bon and Viv grapefruit, and I have a press on deck. How about you? Um, I'm on the Truly game today. I'm going to start here with a watermelon kiwi, roll into a mango, and if we get lucky enough, might get into that. Passion fruit. Mm, it's almost a slurp mm. on the zone of truth. Close one. Yeah. Close one. Not going to allow it, though. That's for another show. Um, you know what? Let's introduce our guests. We got a lot to talk about. Uh, we're happy to have them here. First of all, Haley, you finished book three with us. Congratulations and welcome to the after party. I didn't die. You didn't die. So thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm happy about that. I mean, don't jinx the start of book four. Uh, that, <laughs> maybe I made a mistake. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> I'll just call my shot. <laughs> you heard it first here, folks. Uh, episode 112, Eclipse is dead. <laughs> All right. Um, Haley, what are you drinking today? What, what do you want to share with the people at home? I'm drinking a Citizen Cider uh, Dirty Mayor. Ooh, okay. It's a ginger-infused cider. It's great. Interesting. Have you had one of those before? I have, yeah. I actually picked up some last time we were in Pennsylvania, and then we went again for a family thing with Griffin, and I uh, picked some more up because I like them. Yeah. She's definitely had them on the show because we made fun of the name Dirty Mayor. Absolutely. <laughs> because I read that the mayor sense. keeps it clean, but the ginger makes it dirty. What Dorky. does that even mean? I don't know, <laughs> but I love it. Absolutely. It sounds really good, too. Um, you know what else sounds good? Introducing someone to the show who is with us for the entirety of book three. You know him. You love him. He's a staple on the Zone of Truth and Pavlos and Pales, I guess. <laughs> hey, Steve. Welcome aboard, Chris. How's it going, guys? Glad to be here. Now, you had a character that died in book three as well. So, <laughs> If we want to get technical, yes, I yeah, did. Yeah. I yeah. felt really bad about it, but uh, I feel so much better about where the party's going now. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. It, your character died in book three. Neither Emily nor Brooks's characters died in book three. It makes a lot more sense that we have Chris here than them. <laughs> yeah. A lot of sense. It's a good way to justify it. Yes, absolutely. And uh, 
I'm led to believe that you're also drinking something here today, too. Oh, yes, I am. So because Haley and Griffin went on a pilgrimage to the craft beer mecca that is Pennsylvania, I am drinking a single cut weird and gilly double dry hopped IPA. I love single cut. Glad to have it. Yeah, we've had them on the show before. I know we stocked up after Brewfest last year. Single cut. I don't think I've ever had anything by them that I disliked. And honestly, they're not my cup of tea because they're really good at IPAs. Hmm. And I mean, if I'm drinking an IPA, I'm definitely drinking a single cut, but I'm just not yep. a big IPA guy. Understandable. Big IPA guy here. It's pretty good. I like it. Glad to hear that. Well, as we begin all things, I'm going to go ahead and throw on some Sirenscape for you all at home to listen along with. Um, you know, having Chris on, I got to be playing something from the birds sound set. So I'm keying on music hyphen lovely because... That's how I feel after book three. Just lovely. But with a little uh, Chris twist here as I key on some crows. Crows help set a good ambiance. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I associate them with romantic music. In what way? Crow cause in general. I think it's just good. You know, it's it's got that, you know, it gets you flush. I worry for the next person you date. <laughs> <laughs> Baby, put the crow ambiance on. I'm in the mood. Actually, I'm worried to meet the next person he dates. Because can you imagine that? Light some, Who light, is this person? Light some candles, baby. Chris, put them crows on. Okay. <laughs> are, are those fried chicken flavors? Well, candles? God damn it. All right. Uh, like, Why do you have a bunch of empty KFC buckets in your room? <laughs> Where is this going? Gross. Sounds like she's into it. <laughs> she's telling you to put on the crows. All right. She meant the movie The Crow. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess she's a keeper then. Guys. Yeah, we're getting off track here. Before we hop into our book three recap, top moments, all that nonsense, um, As we have been doing over the last several months, um, we're still in quarantine here. And uh, I just want to share some suggestions from the four of us. What have we been doing to stay sane? You know, what have we been watching? What have we been listening to? What have we been reading? And I guess I'll probably start with Haley because we just watched her do one of her recent pastimes before going live. Yeah. uh, So a week ago, the uh, Mario Bundle <laughs> came out for the Switch. It's got Super Mario 64, Super Mario Sunshine, the best of three of those. And <laughs> Oh, boy. We're about to fight on air. I'm kidding. Okay, the, okay. 64 is obviously the best one. Yeah, my heart skipped a beat over here. Um, Sunshine is probably one of the best inferior I feel like I could, I could uh, and then the other sense Galaxy, your blood pressure which, uh, rising uh, just to don't even talk uncomfortable about. levels. It's really yeah. so, uh, talk about yeah, Sunshine. It pains me to do with this, but I'm not good at 64 at all. Uh, but, you know, in just about a week, I've got, I'm really close to 50 shine stars, and my city is freaking clean. So... Those sound like good things. It is good. It is good. Let me have that. <laughs> All right. I heard some people beat the game in less than 12 hours. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I've been doing that, but then otherwise I, uh, I've listened to a lot of audiobooks. Uh, so I finished the, like, all but the very last book of the Dwarves series, which was great. Uh, really good series by a, a German horror writer. Um, went into an entire thing about 
the dwarves. Uh, so it's been it's a, it's basically an entire series. But is, um, is it a horror movie. series? So it is written by a horror author, and so a, it gets dark, but it's not actually horror based. Like it's more to me, it's more high fantasy adventure. Um, but he is very easily pulling in some of the darker themes that sometimes they, I think other fantasy authors sometimes keep a little bit lighter. Okay. So I liked it. Um, that was really good. But now I'm on to something that's much more lighthearted, but also reminds me of Pathfinder. I have actually another book that like super reminds me of Pathfinder. Sufficiently Advanced Magic. It is, is the name of it. And it's very much like literally the first thing they're doing is going into a dungeon crawl to prove their worth. And they have different levels of their magic. And it's it feels really Pathfinder Dungeons and Dragons-y. Uh, but it's it's been good. It's a little it's definitely more lighthearted, um, which yeah. is a good break. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun and definitely sounds very, uh, very in tune for probably some of our listeners. You, yeah, it, it sounds yeah, it's a good analog to what we're doing here. Very mechanical. Um, I, I'm worried to ask, but Chris, what have you been up to lately? Don't be worried, Steve. I've, you know, keep myself among friends. Yeah. We're among, among us. We're friends. I've been playing a whole bunch of among us. (laughs) I've been telling all of my friends to get among us so I can play with them. It's an awesome game. I recommend anyone listening to check it out. I get a huge adrenaline spike. Every time I am the imposter, I'm running around killing people. That just is a good feeling, you know. Killing other people on a spaceship is nice. So, so, so for those of you who are unfamiliar with Among Us, <laughs> what, what's what's the general gameplay like? It's like a it's like a social intrigue type game. You're a whole bunch of little spacesuits trapped on a spaceship. Uh, one of you is an imposter who has to kill everyone else to win, and the other people have to try to find out who the imposter is and vote them off of the ship. Um, that's the whole premise, and it's tons of fun. Yeah, we played a little bit last night, and uh, it's yeah. it's pretty wild. I hope to play more with you guys as well, too. I hope you guys you know all get the game. We all play together. That'll be sick. Um, other stuff I'm doing, uh, booted up the 3D printer again, making some minis, so yes. you guys will see that some of the stuff I'm working on down the road. Yeah, I heard you were putting up some uh, book four minis couple of them you know i'm not gonna not gonna say i've got you know everything sent up but i got a couple key ones uh so look forward for that and And when you're when you're when you're doing these prints are they do they tend to be a little bit larger maybe into the like huge category oh look someone's looking for tactical details no i won't i won't go ahead and describe the size of mini that i'm I'm printing um you just guys need to be prepared for anything okay so all right just keep your anxieties to yourselves about what's coming up yeah, I would talk to no one. I think that would be the yeah your best strategy. Yeah. You don't know who's going to go insane in book four. No, no. Yeah, you don't know who the imposter is. <laughs> Someone's an imposter in the party. All right, uh, Griff, what have you been doing these last few weeks? Got caught up on The Boys Season 2. Yes. Really enjoyed it. Uh, six episodes out right now. I'm pretty excited to see where the rest of the season goes. Besides that, uh, getting ready to dive into masters of horror because it's the spooky season have you heard of that no it's um it's a show and they're each hour-long segments each of the they range from like okay to really good but they're all uh directed by a famous horror director so like john carpenter does one and uh, oh it's like an anthology series yeah it's it's like a tv show but each one's a um like an hour-long episode. Okay. 
That's pretty sweet. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Might have to check that out. Uh, where are you watching that? Tubi, baby. <laughs> Tubi. Tubi TV. The official streaming service of the HLV. <laughs> Free. Free. <laughs> Well, it's weird because it's not on any of the paid ones. Like, we have all the paid ones, and it's mm-hmm. not on any of them. It's just on Tubi. Interesting. All right. And and for myself, um, I am diving back into a show that I watched the first couple seasons of um, several years ago. I, I really cherish, uh, you know, the, the high school days when I'd work till 11 or, or, or midnight at the pizza place and come home and watch Hannibal by myself. <laughs> That show is wild. It's very good. Um, probably the goriest show I've ever seen on television, and it blows my mind that it had like a 9 p.m. slot on NBC. Like you would roll out of an episode of The Office into like a graphic depiction of somebody like sawing a leg off and then eating it. It was wild. Nothing. But it's very good. Mads Mikkelsen absolutely kills it as always. So, um, rewatching that on Netflix. I just really still surprised that they got away with that on basically public TV. But it's good. I will say something I'm about to dive into, and I recommend it to everybody this season, but I don't know where to find it this year, but uh, I always watch Over the Garden Wall, the animated series. Elijah Wood's the main character. I've never heard of this one. It's really good. It's similar in vibe to... It's kind of like a dark fairy tale. Okay. And it's similar in vibe to like a maybe a darker adventure zone kind of like a gravity falls type show it Mm -hmm. reminds me of um very good very fall themed and i think it it'll maybe take you three hours to watch through all of it it's just a one and done like six episodes or something over the garden wall yeah okay i might have to check that out I, i i love elijah wood he's kind of going off the deep end i love him he's been picking up some weird projects all right folks it's book three time. Let's talk about it. So book three, The Broken Moon. Um, I went back through our catalog and it looks like this stretches from about episode 82. There's some there's some episodes in between uh, books two and three that I feel like could go either way. There's some shopping, some wrapping up plot points. Uh, but then most recently through episode 112, which will be dropping in a couple days. That really is the the final nail in the coffin of book three. Um But there's a lot that happened in book three, a lot. So I just kind of want to circle the wagons here um, with the folks that we have around the table and talk about some of our our, our highlights, maybe some stuff we didn't expect, um, some stuff that uh, surprised us, some stuff that, uh, you know, made us happy and some stuff that made us very sad. So, um, again, I'm going to I'm going to kick this over to Haley and just uh, what were some of your favorite highlights of book three? Um, well, I felt like the entire process of communing with Desna, that was incredible. Yes. Um, that entire, like, every, I mean, I, I know that wasn't a lot for a player, but, like, that was insanely awesome to uh, hear and understand that my character was going through it. That was super cool um, and incredibly well written and very great delivery. So that was um, just like an awesome, uh, something I won't forget. Um, I don't know, like that was, that was, I mean, that was really, to me, that was a highlight. I obviously, and then there was like the Viv stuff was crazy. 
Um, but it doesn't live up to my excitement because I didn't get the final blow. So yeah, there were people on the Discord saying you got robbed. Couldn't pull it off. I did. Got robbed. Uh, my dice, my dice betrayed me. Couldn't decapitate that unconscious prone fifth. <laughs> Couldn't do it. Sad. So uh, yeah, like as much as that would have been probably my favorite, hi- one of my favorite highlights. Uh, it was just sad, uh, sad, pitiful thing that Eclipse uh, failed at. Uh, but then you know that I don't know. I would say like it was also the entire brood fight is crazy, especially with like what round one or two. Uh, Swear went down. Dead. So Yeah, like two or something. Yeah, right in the beginning. Yes, in addition to, like, generally I had no idea if Eclipse was going to make it out because I was controlled by a very high-level vampire for a long time. Like, that was very concerning for me. Uh, in fact, I went through a lot of scenarios and a lot of different things, uh, and assuming I wasn't going to make it out. Um, but, you know, everything, I made it out. Everything's fine. So that was good. That was very exciting. Uh, but the fight was good. I like the, that, like, on edge. It was painful, and it was hard, but it was good. Yeah, absolutely. A, a very difficult fight, but um, one that felt heroic by the end. Yes. Yeah, like, we, it felt like we earned it. And Agreed. That was that was very exciting. I, I really did appreciate that. Um Let's switch this over to a listener perspective. Uh, Chris, what were you expecting from from this book three? Did, did you know anything beforehand about book three or, or what it might be like? And, and what were some surprises for you? Yeah, I didn't I didn't know a lot of about anything coming into book three other than like a couple minis that I knew I was going to print for it. Um, I try to keep oblivious of the plot details for books that I want to listen to. Uh, just to, you know, mm-hmm. from a listener perspective, I like to, you know, be excited and like surprised by things. Um, I was thinking that there would be a lot more book three intrigue about finding out, you know, there was talk about going to this lodge and I knew werewolves involved. I was thought, I I thought there'd be a little more intrigue about who was or wasn't a werewolf. I thought the, that part of it would be more of a, rather than there's a pretty clear delineation of you got people in the lodge versus these clans of werewolves that are roaming around which i thought was interesting wasn't expecting that uh to to key off that i i was drilling into people on the show off air i can't i don't think i ever said this on air but i was convinced that silas Graydon was a werewolf because (laughs) purely because the silver hides had a reputation we learned that they had a reputation of blending in with uh with like humans and stuff and i'm like okay his name has gray in the name that's very similar to silver also his first name is silas very similar to silver like this guy is a silver hide werewolf i'm telling you uh clearly not true <laughs> D- did not happen but i was convinced that he was a silver hide if we were playing by 2e investigator rules i would have had to tell you that's a red herring that's a red herring <laughs> no but that's odd still no <laughs> Other stuff that I like, I mean, that was the big kind of uh, um, difference that I saw in the actual game, which I liked. I enjoyed the, f- the finding out that like this, these are werewolf territories. That was interesting. Um, as, as someone who's fairly new compared to everyone else in Pathfinder, um, the idea that you had a party that was communing directly with a deity in this book was amazing to me. I don't think I've ever heard or read anything about that happening before so that was huge this early in, in, in an AP um, and then 
a whole bunch of notable like touch points in in between different parts of the book. Um, ever since the book two Schloss, I've really been enjoying any fight that the party really gets challenged in, and, and has to you know has to adapt to whatever combat situation it is. So the Weaver Worm was interesting. Mm-hmm. The fight with the spiders was great. Obviously, um, Vivian was was intense. The entire part of Feldgrau, um, just it added to the intensity and like the tenseness of it that you knew the entire town was surrounded by undead and you have the resources you've brought in with you as a party and you have to make it work because there's no escaping the situation you're in. So um, it goes without saying that the end, the end couple episodes that we've heard already from book three were some of the most tense episodes I think I've ever listened to from you guys. I, to, to support that argument, um, I think in comparison to other games that we've played off pod or even other books from this adventure path that we played on the podcast. I know um, we've definitely talked about this Griffin on air on the zone of truth that to get us where we needed to be and to progress the story in the way that we wanted it to, um, there was some fat cut off this book, you know, inconsequential encounters that that we didn't do. We didn't do the 12 werewolf fights back to back to back. Thank Uh, goodness. But what what replaced all of that stuff were very challenging encounters or encounters that were already in the book that were ramped up to meet the party level. So uh, when I was going back through all of these episode titles and descriptions to get ready for this episode of the Zone of Truth, I was looking at the fights from this and I don't think any fight we were in was a slouch like compared to some off pod games or even some of the stuff that we've seen in books one or two like it just hit after hit weaver worm like we almost had two deaths spider fight almost two deaths like all of these werewolf fights were like almost fights to the death and then anything uh, 100 or after that was just life and death there's nothing on here that is just a resource drain even though some of them did drain resources, there's nothing here that just whittles down what we have. It's just all knife's edge, roll the dice kind of combats. Last thing I want to point out is the fucking gut punch that Griffin did to everyone with the necrograph fight. <laughs> like, in terms of what I expected from book three, I did not expect any like tie-in from book two in the fact that like, oh, your favorite people in book two, guess what? They killed them. Yeah, it was it was pretty funny. I got a, a DM from uh, from Heath from Southern Town Foolery um, the week after we recorded 100. He was get, he's getting caught up on the show. He's definitely I don't think he's caught up yet. But he's like, hey, I just got to the um, to the um, uh, the crooked kin. I love those guys. Those carnies are funny. And I'm like, oh, bro. <laughs> oh, bro, you're texting me at the wrong time about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, as as for myself, um, I I did enjoy Askinor Lodge a lot. Um, I know we got lucky on a lot of roles that streamlined a lot of the investigation, so I don't think we spent as much time as maybe I would have expected that we did, but I was totally fine with it, and it set us up really well for an episode 100 that I'm very proud of, that I really liked. Um, obviously, you know, my... My highlight here is bringing Sawyer back into the main show in a completely different way that I don't think a lot of people that were expecting. And of course, yes, he did die several episodes later, but I was able to, you know, bring him back in a new, interesting way. I had the opportunity to play with him for 10 more episodes and tell some really cool stories that I'm really proud of. And is he dead? Yes, but 
we got one of my favorite, if it was the most diff- one of the most difficult episodes I've ever recorded, episode 111, where we have the funeral. That was tough. Um, but we talked about this on our episode 100 stream um, that you know a lot of people listening right now probably didn't attend or didn't see, but we had a, some good attendance there. Um, we talked about... Um, we, we talked about our favorite moments from the show and my favorite moments from the show generally aren't like our happiest moments. They're the moments that make me feel the most. So it's either, you know, kind of unexpectedly the moments when I'm like the most frustrated, the moments when I'm the most nervous about surviving an encounter, the moments when I'm the most emotional about a character death or a funeral, those stand out to me. And that's why I hold episode 111 in such regard because it really just tore me apart and it made me feel things. It was great. I really enjoyed it. Um, on, a, on a lighter note, though, I will say that I had so much fun doing our like Avengers episode <laughs> or episodes so fun. Yeah. where um, where I really just pictured. Those, those, you know, adventure, uh, Avengers, or um, the second one, whatever, where they, you know, there's just like a, some cheesy slow mo shot where they're like all lined up in a row, all about to like punch or like throw a lightning bolt or something at the same time. But uh, it was just our entire party and four other wolves all together. Everyone was playing dual roles. I thought that was so cool, and I had so much fun with that. Griffin. Book three. One thing I'll say about book three is that I think this is the book where I got to pull off the best uh, cliffhangers that have happened on the show. <laughs> this book three was had probably about a third of the episodes were cliffhangers. Yeah, you're probably not wrong about that. And that that goes in tandem with what you were saying about how the combats are so much harder because there's a lot less resource drain and there's time in between the combats because I was trimming the fat. I think, you know, you guys have really touched on the parts that would actually be my favorite parts of this book. Uh, so I wanted to mention a couple of moments that I thought were really fun. Mm-hmm. One was when Ikmer was trying to hide being a werewolf from Duristan and the whole <laughs> yeah, conversation yeah. that went yeah, along that with happened. that. And like Duristan kind of like playing dumb, but but it was like the first time you were meeting that character and you were kind of realizing what kind of character he was. Uh, another was when Matumbe did his solo stealth mission to Estovian's uh, personal quarters. That happened. And didn't I succeed the disabled device like on the money? On the nose, yeah. With so a six clutch. on the inspiration. <laughs> And uh, I think those were those were some moments that I mean, even even you guys interrogating like Posse and in Posse's shed, I feel like they're going to get overlooked in the scope of this book because deservedly they will. We had episode 100. We had, you know, a really great funeral episode. I really got to flex on you guys in 108 and 109. And that felt really good to actually play with something that's optimized. And, uh, but besides all of that, some good shit happened in the, even though you guys blew through it, like some good shit happened in the lodge, some good shit happened in the lead up to the lodge. 
there were a lot of characters in this book. Yeah. Yeah, there absolutely were. We got to meet Corvin, the emo kid. Yep. Corvin, the emo kid. <laughs> Poetry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, re- I remember having to put a stop to an episode on air. It was like, Griffin, you didn't ha- you didn't write that poem, did you? You didn't have that ready to go. <laughs> I had a poem ready to go. I did not write it. That was incredible. A lot of poems this book. Yeah, po- poem heavy. <laughs> poem Would you heavy say that book. that uh, sets the tone for book four? Lots more I poems? I think I've done uh, a poem per book number, potentially, at this point. Yeah, there was the Corvin poem. There was the Anya funeral poem. There was the uh, Vrood poem. Yeah. poem. Yeah, so three, three in this one. I think we had some poems earlier on in the show, potentially, maybe. I don't know. Did, did Larry, Larry had one. Poems? Larry had Larry? poems. Remember? Oh, he did. Yeah. Yeah. I think I did two poems from Larry. So that's two for book two. Jesus. And I'm wondering if I did one in book one. I don't know. I hope so. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It was the it was the Harrowstone poem. There was a oh, poem yeah. about the, the little kids sang the song about the. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, expect four poems, I guess, in book four. Four poems, book four. You have a, you have a commitment from Griff. You're already here first. <laughs> Oh man, the six poems in book six. <laughs> gonna feel pretty shoehorned. Pretty shoehorned in. These poems don't feel natural at all. <laughs> I'm gonna be delivering all of my NPC uh, exposition in iambic pentameter <laughs> now. <laughs> you guys are facing a lot of bards for an undead <laughs> heavy campaign. <laughs> a lot of bards. Um, all right, so I I actually sat down before. Um, before we, we got to recording this episode and wrote down a couple questions that I have for the group here. Um, the first one is a little bit of a hypothetical. I love living in the hypothetical. And this one's directed at Haley. So I'm, I'm turning the clocks back to the beginning of book three, to that weaver worm fight where Emily and I walked away with that, away from that fight, convinced that Freya and Matumbe were going to die. So imagine that Freya and Matumbe perished in that weaver worm fight. How does that change Eclipse's relationship with Ikmer as he becomes the Prince of Wolves? We've seen that, you know, Eclipse has somewhat emotionally manipulated um, Ikmer to kind of either hide stuff or get him to do what she wants. Do you see her being uh, a more influential figure on this, this, uh, this collection of wolves or how he leads? Oh yeah, no, I don't I don't I don't think Eclipse would ever be in the state where she currently is where she actually encouraged him to stay in one of the episodes before the rude fight. Mm-hmm. No. This is now he can't leave. Uh I believe is the way that she would respond because she can't like it's not it's it's the loss, right? Like it would be different if she was like with with Ikmer, right? Like Ikmer has a choice uh, ahead of him. Like that is very different than the loss. Like I would now lose. I've, like we've already lost Lyra. I would then lose Freya and Matumbe. There's no chance that she would willingly allow him to leave. So she would use every bit of emotional manipulation possible. To convince him not to leave. It doesn't matter what the new party members would have been. 
I think she would only continue to bring him in and try to influence him and, and basically say, well, they don't, they don't, I mean, they don't need you right now. I mean, they've been doing fine without you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there would be a whole lot of that. I think it would have been a very dark turn for Eclipse. This might be an unpopular opinion, but I think had that happened, the AP would have ended with book three. Because I I don't see a future where Ikmer doesn't make the choice to stay. I don't see a future where Eclipse doesn't stay with Ikmer. And so it either continues on with four new party members in book four, whoever you bring as backup for yeah. Matumbe and Freya. I don't think those characters would have enough of a, of a sway to sway Eclipse to follow them to continue the AP. So I've, I've got a lot of thoughts here, and I don't think that's quite as an unpopular opinion as as, as you might think it is. Um, I actually think that books one, two, and three, or at least the way that we've presented them, are a very tidy story, especially how with the um, evil interludes, we presented Vrood as a big bad so early on. Mm-hmm. It really culminates in we find him, we root him out, we defeat him. Great. Lose some people along the way. Um, build Ikmer up to this like king figure and then end with like a, a big final everybody's happy and we've succeeded now doesn't mean the whispering way is done doesn't mean the whispering tyrants defeated but we succeeded thwarting this bad guy I think that is a tidy story and that that could end it right there the question that you guys both got me thinking on is so from a from a working through the AP perspective, from a show perspective, obviously what we would probably have done is introduced a couple new characters, one from me, one from Emily. Um, but realistically, that if, if we're just looking at like actual characters in a story, that might not have happened. So it's, it's, it's very possible that going into that Vrood fight, you have Eclipse, uh, Eclipse, Ikmer, Sawyer, Anya, Rick Mitt. Like, you know, they bring that little like werewolf mm-hmm. um like Avengers team in to, to defeat him and they finish up. What happens to Eclipse after that? Does she stay with, with Ikmer in this group or does she pursue the whispering way or does she go try and find her family with ants? Oh, I think she would probably stay with Ikmer for a little bit and make sure she is like, he's okay only to find like now she's losing a connection with him because I'm sure his connections with his actual family and the werewolves is way way tighter than her connection with him and I think there would be a slow drift apart that Eclipse would see and she'd both get probably mad because that's part of her uh, corruption having Vance and he would probably continue to stir shit in her head while she's also feeling these feelings of drifting away which would lead her to definitely leave at that point Um, in which case of course she'd go find uh, she'd probably take a take a werewolf body for Vance but then she'd go fight her family because I feel like Vance would like that would like a werewolf body yeah in fact I've also thought about that before like I feel like that'd be a convenient uh, body for him because it's very powerful he didn't like werewolves remember I know he doesn't like werewolves but it's very powerful and I feel like it would be very good for his uh, killing that he likes to do yeah, I agree. They get they get some great bonuses. Right. <laughs> All right. Over to Griff now. Um, I got a, I got two questions for you. What was the most difficult or interesting parts of prepping for book three? That's one. 
I'll save the second one for when you're done. Sure. I think the most difficult part of prepping book three was rewriting the entire adventure with the... you guys had knowledge about the fucking werewolves in the Shutterwood and an immediate tie into them going into the book. The Askinor Lodge went so smoothly for you guys because you're supposed to be figuring all of that out at Askinor Lodge. Yeah. You're supposed to be like having encounters with werewolves and learning more things about werewolves and that kind of stuff. And you went in looking for that information already. Mm-hmm. You knew werewolves were an issue. Yeah, we like roll in to a stovey and like, hey, what's up with these werewolves? What's going on? Exactly. And normally you wouldn't have that information. And I think that's where when Corvin gets possessed by the um, by the Vilcasis spirit and stuff, that creates a much more interesting intrigue thing because then you start to get exactly what you talked about, which is like, well, who in this lodge is a werewolf? Mm-hmm. And if you don't directly see it, it's like could be anybody silas is dead and he got killed by some beast what was that yeah that's a whole different level of intrigue than what we had which was oh shit ghost wolf all right no (laughs) (laughs) so i knew that this book more so than when other parties run through it you were going to have a lot more interaction with the actual packs and that was going to have to be where i focused the story not really on Askinor Lodge and so it was actually kind of a blessing that you guys made a lot of checks and didn't have to spend that much time there because that part gets a little stale when you already know the information going into it yeah so I think it's kind of a on me and also on your guys' good checks that we spent as little time in Askinor as we did Yeah, good thing you have a, an occultist who can just kind of know everything and a true <laughs> investigator in the party <laughs> Good thing. This is the last time that a wizard can beat both of you at that shit. <laughs> Book three, sub level nine. Uh, and I think that lends itself to what else had to be rewritten. I mean, Feldgrau, when you're backed by an army of wolves and not just going in by yourselves had to be completely changed. Like you guys would have been ducking in and out of buildings and like, you know, fighting small patrols and that kind of stuff to get closer and closer to the tower. And that wasn't how I pictured it playing when you have an entire group of wolves at your back. So you're, you're telling me that uh, at, at no point did they write in the possibility that eight PCs uh, technically, you know, like five or six of them natural lycanthropes were going to fight something. No, they, they had not. <laughs> so all of those combats, I took a mishmash of undead creatures. I thought sounded really cool. And some of the stuff that was unique to book three that was in there as part of patrols and kind of mashed them together to make these big epic combats. And obviously that was more fun. Mm-hmm. It, it it just was. You just said like, oh, the Avenger style combat was one of the highlights for me. Yeah, that's because it's fucking fun. It's way more fun than fighting five bloody skeletons that you bump into. Yeah, that's absolutely. What it, that's what it, that it gave it much more of a Night of the Living Dead vibe, which I really liked. It's like we're we're under siege and we're stuck in here. 
and then obviously the tower was completely <laughs> completely different you're not supposed to fight the dread white in there you're obviously not supposed to fight viv in there Vrood is supposed to be upstairs there all you have is Vrood and skeletal archers at that point in that building Interesting. And there's no there's no downstairs dungeon crypt and all of those traps and all of that stuff was all just gravy that I wrote in. <laughs> Delicious gravy. Delicious gravy. And it was fun. I mean, I I feel like I very much kept the spirit of the book but had to change it because and I think this is this is something that you do as a GM is if you have an opportunity change the story to suit your players and we've mm-hmm. we've been building up Ikmer as the Prince of Wolves for books now yeah. and so this book should have been his huge climax and it wouldn't have been as written right and and and, and there's a lot of ramping to like I don't want to say the party's level, but like the party's power with mm-hmm. like all of the extra stuff that you did there. Yeah, yeah I and really I, had to I'll, change it to, <laughs> to suit natural lycanthropes and stuff. Right. I, I just want to reassure the folks at home that that recre- that that recorrects itself because, you know, Saw's gone. You don't have like eight lycanthropes hanging out, you know, book force a little, little bit more uh, how it should be for now for now. I've been waiting a long time to see Ikmer climax, and I'm glad now that we got to see and hear it happen. You know, <laughs> it was good. Here's a wait one more episode Jesus. for that. <laughs> I'm gonna need you to leave. <laughs> <laughs> You're on a list now. <laughs> oh, um, I I will say the the communing with Desna. While that was like a huge know written thing and completely unique for you guys that actually is in the book Mm -hmm. that you commune with her yeah or you can you can if you have like if you perform the ritual at the top of high throne and i think what she gives you is like a plus two to wisdom or intelligence your choice it's kind of lame versus what you guys got yeah yeah i got that uh, expanded inspiration rolling inspiration on fucking everything yeah um yeah and, and to to, to reinforce that I think leading up to episode 100 for every like hour of production in episode 100 I think it actualized at like four to six hours I can't remember exactly but Griff and I talked on the phone for like three hours per hour there's so much we had to talk about yeah we were and I was talking to Emily too and mm-hmm. like there's a lot of a lot of Viv stuff. A lot talk, of talked to Brooks for a, a while. Didn't really have to talk to him. Yeah, I got. I actually got really confused because I was like, so like, did I do something? Like you've talked to literally everyone about episode 100, but not me. I was like, oh no, like what's going on? Do I am missing something? Or we need to find out. It's it's uh, it was well, it made sense now. Yeah. Well, folks, you know I, I haven't done this for other books. But it seems like book three was a little bit more of a deadly book than the other two. We certainly had our fair share of deaths in book one and two, but uh, but book three was pretty pretty death heavy when I looked back through some of the episode summaries. So now I'd like to kick it to the in memoriam <laughs> part of book three. I'm going to turn uh, this music off and turn on our traditional sad music from... Uh, from Sirenscape. Oh boy, you put on the real funeral music. The funeral music, yes. 
So I'm just gonna read off some names. You guys cool with that? You guys can react any way you want. You can comment, you can sigh, you can cry. It's fine. First of all, first 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 <laughs> people that died this book. Anyone who ever worked for Durston. <laughs> Fucking rip. Which those boys had a hard life. It's about 25 full grown men. <laughs> Fucking, where are these, where are these cohorts coming from, Durston? <laughs> where do you keep getting people in the middle of the woods? Murdered in his bed by a ghosty emo boy, Silas Graydon. The ghosty emo boy that killed him in his bed, Corvin. You didn't kill him. No, we didn't. He's not dead. No, you just got rid of the ghost. Oh, <laughs> he's alive? Him? Yeah. All right, well, all right, never mind. Um, the man that I was convinced was okay and was just oh playing us God, the whole time. Fuck that, dude. This is also why that Esto went so fast. Estovian Lazarov. This is also why fucking Askinor Lodge went so fast because you outright told him what you were looking for immediately. Immediately and trusted like, him. He has a whole suspicion mechanic about, like that you're supposed to play out through that book and that it separates the events and makes it kind of drags it out and you just fucking sent him to like talk to Boston immediately. <laughs> If I, if I if I have your trust, I'm looking for the looking for the whispering way. Looking for the whispering I think they way. came here. Uh, yes, Matumbe is smart, but he is not wise. Uh, <laughs> another character that was introduced much earlier this year in an evil interlude. Mathis Marginoct. Pour one out for the homie. Pour one out for the homie. Pour one all over this game table. No. Chris, how do you feel about your first character death on this show? You know, not as attached as you might think. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, moving on to uh, a notable exception. Somehow not the Dorzenev wolf that was in three combats with the party. <laughs> I remember getting done with each one of those episodes and Griff being like, I don't know how this guy's still alive. It's because he kept running. <laughs> he keeps running. He kept running and you guys don't have good ranged. <laughs> He's going to come back in book six. To be Ikmer's right-hand man. Oh, my God. The unkillable. <laughs> and now time for a particularly sad part of this in memoriam segment. All of the members of the crooked kin that I could remember. Captain Caleb. Lydia, the bearded lady. Prince R. The pinhead trio. Elise, Letty, and Poppy. You've got the little wolf boy. Hap Harvin, the Flea Man, which I saw online. I don't really remember him. The Flea Man. We had three clowns, and in the center of the necrograph, Seymour Wiener. Pour one out, boys. God rest his soul. Cheers. I'll drink you that. I'm shocked you killed that character off, Griff, because you had so much fun playing him. Listen, you can't, uh, you can't protect your darlings on this show. Oh my show. God, Haley's yeah. crying. <laughs> no. <laughs> Next up, the first uh, first player character, although not played by a char- by a player at the time, Doctor Vivian Malice. God, my favorite enemy to hate. Yeah, really, really, some of the one of the one of those people you love to hate. Yes. A constant thorn in the side. She great. missed. This one hits me pretty hard. Everyone's favorite devil wolf, Sawyer Saverine. Yeah, jog my memory really quick, because I'm not, I don't remember that well. Was he one of Duristan's guys? Fuck off and go home. <laughs> <laughs> also one of Duristan's guys. Duristan's guys. 
He actually died twice in this book. Once in the uh, once in the flashback and once in real life. And well, then he no, was brought he, back from the dead and killed again. Yeah. He died three times. Four times. Because he died he died in his flashback. He died in the beginning of the root fight. He died again as undead. He Oh, I guess three, three times. Three times. I guess if you're counting the undead, yeah. I that do, would be three. I count it. If you count it, yep. Very sad. Um and then of course the big bad of the whole goddamn thing. Orin Vrood. Man, you guys have known about Vrood since like way early. Like two on. years ago. Yeah, almost <laughs> two full years ago. Yeah, that is teasing a bad guy if I've ever heard one. But so we had a listener question that was based off of death. So I'm just kind of tacking this on the back end of this, uh, Griff. This one comes from. Oh boy. Thomas slash Max from our Discord. Griff, a lot of NPCs died so far this this campaign. I named off a lot of them just uh, just a couple seconds ago. Which one will you miss playing the most, and why? Which of the dead ones? I assume. Yeah. Means. That's tough. I mean, Seymour is kind of the obvious answer. Mm-hmm. He was definitely the most fun to play of any of them. But I think Vrood, for me. Well, you'll still have some chance to play Vrood. We're not quite done with those. Yeah, that's true. That's true. He doesn't really get to He doesn't get to actually fight things in the evil interlude. I could change that. Knowing you, you probably will. <laughs> Claim some of it for myself. Guys, we're going to have some big Avenger-style combat. It's it's you, Vrood, and somebody else versus a, a bunch of Fae. G- All right. NPC. All right. <laughs> I'll be controlling Vrood. <laughs> yeah, I, I get it. Um, but so we're going to move on into the listener questions segment of this show. And we got a lot of them for you guys, folks, today. Um, we're going to start with one from a username... Krusty Crus. Oh, he's a he's a cool guy in Discord. I think I pronounced that right. Which pack would each of you have been in if you had the choice? Hey, great question, friend. Hold on, sus. Sus. He's the imposter. <laughs> he's the imposter. <laughs> All right, we're gonna we're gonna start out with you, Chris. Um, this fine young gentleman is asking you a question. What yes, pack sir. do you think you would belong in? Which pack? So if I'm going to play a lycanthrope, I feel like I really want to lean into the whole like chaotic kind of evil aspect of being a werewolf. I probably want to be a Mordranacht, I think. And it's not biased because I was playing a Mordranacht character, but like I want to be someone who just goes around doing some really evil werewolf shit. You know, that's if I'm playing a game and I'm playing a lycanthrope, that's fun to me. I can see it. It makes sense. How about you, Haley? Um, I think probably the doors knobs, uh, mostly because... They are, uh, like, both very pack-oriented while not being incredibly traditional like the primals. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, uh, I think it's a good middle ground of, like, very werewolfy. Yeah, they, not- see, they seem the most stable. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I feel like that would be a really good uh, group to be in because you could probably get a good rally around, like, from them. Yeah. I, I like them a lot. How about yourself, Griff? Uh, I'm going to go with the Prince's Wolves because they have the best lore. Mm, fair. Yeah, they're the only ones with like uh, really cool lore outside of this book. So I'm gonna go. I, I think having a history into like the the war with the Whispering Tyrant and stuff is very cool. Mm-hmm. 
As for myself, um, I feel like I'm obligated to say the Devil Wolves, but realistically, um, probably the Doors and Knives. Like I said, they're pretty chill. They're like the Hufflepuff of the packs. Yeah, you guys are some real Hufflepuff. Uh, you know what? I'm out. I'm back in the Devil Wolves. Baby. Back in the Devil Wolves, <laughs> slithering all day. Yeah, this uh, this next question comes from username Horace Croon. Hmm. I don't know who that is. Um, now that you've had a new character for an entire book, how do you feel about the new party dynamic? I think this is probably directed mostly at Haley and myself. Oh, yeah, obviously. So, Haley, what do you think about Freya? Um, I like having a proper healer. No offense to Lyra, but... This, it kind of sucked at that. It's really yeah. nice to have a cleric. It is very, very good. Yeah, I, I, I think I'll, I'll agree with that. Although I really liked Lyra and her story and, and stuff. And I, I think it still, you know, continues on. Um, I mean, if I had a choice 10 out of 10 times, I'm taking channels and spontaneous healing over um, inspire courage or whatever in combat. Well, 10 also, out of 10 times. I have to say, Emily has done some crazy, awesome, like creative things with those spells. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Sometimes I think cleric is all is very healing and yes she's done a lot of healing but like she's had some very clutch like that one spell i don't remember what it's called where she just like was invisible to the enemy essentially like they could not oh, sanctuary. Hurt her. Mm -hmm. yeah. like i just those are some things i don't think about as much and she pulled out a lot of things and then also i really like freya's entire backstory i think it's a it's a good amount of like I don't know, motherly presence. Yeah. She she plays with a couple riskier um, premises than than maybe than maybe Lyra did, which I really enjoy. I think it fits the campaign really well and like our story. Mm -hmm. And I, I really enjoy um, that that backstory and kind of the the stuff that she's trying to do with it. I think we have a lot left to see Freya, and I think she's gonna surprise a lot of folks. Yeah, I think like I'll say this, she's not here, but I think she's better at role playing Freya than she was at Lyra. Honest Could opinion be, yeah. as the as the GM. I think Freya has actually had a lot more spontaneous emotional moments as a character than Lyra did. Yeah. I mean Lyra, so okay, I say that but then Lyra in the trial was probably some of the best RP from Emily. So, I could go either way, but I think she's done a lot with she's done a lot kind of unprompted with Freya that I feel like really adds to the combats. Like, like you see in like yeah. the one Oh nine, when she, you, you always call that moment out when she's like putting saw down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I personally pushed Emily a couple times with like the, the Matumbe. Hey, I'm probably going to die here. You're going to do my funeral. Right? Like I, I've pushed her a couple different times with Freya that I think have been a lot more successful than if I would have tried that with, with a, uh, with a Lyra. Yeah. Um, okay, we're going to keep moving on here. Another question from Thomas slash Max from the Discord. What is the most important change that occurred to your character since it appeared on the show? Um, guess we're going to start with Chris here. What's the biggest change that happened with Mathis? Well, it's interesting you say that because when he when I first started playing him, um, he would generally be above ground level. And now as a character, <laughs> he is many, many feet below the normal ground level for wherever the party's at. So the change in elevation has been the largest difference in the character, I think. Yeah, and I guess while I have you here, this would be a great time to ask, uh, what are some of the big changes that have happened with Romir? Oh, you know, um, I think he's, uh, you know, 
No change. Still trying. In the to interim, I think he's recovered ground. from whatever hangover he had. I think he's doing a lot more like classes, whether it's cooking or aerobics or other stuff. I think he's really, you know, he's making time for himself now, which is really good. Yeah, you love to see it. You love do. to see it. Uh, how about Eclipse? Yeah, I mean, uh, this is really hard. I feel like I haven't had many major changes, except, you know, I was possessed, so... That's a big one. No. A little bit of alignment shift in there, and, uh... Realistically, I mean, that is the most important change that's happened to Eclipse, is, uh, she's been possessed by a, an evil entity, uh, basically, and, I mean, yes, my character was supposed to get, um, spirits, and is a haunt collector, and that is a normal thing right that liana that's fine that's normal but um to kind of get someone who is trying to it's just like fighting for control it's a lot different so you, you maybe built this character not expecting to uh have one of those spirits be an axe murderer see even then it would have been fine if he wasn't trying to actively take control if he All was right. on my side i would be like hell yeah let's go but sometimes and and don't get me wrong I love Vance, and sometimes he does try to be on my side uh, in order for his own survival, but also, like, he does ultimately just want a body. (laughs) So, uh, I could not be alive, and he could have a body, and he'd probably be happy. Fair enough. Don't worry. (laughs) As as for myself, uh, for Matumbe, I think he's probably... The change that I wasn't even really looking for was he he appears to be more of a stabilizing presence for the party than maybe in the beginning. Um, I know some of the the backstory stuff that I've laid out um, is is a little wild for Matumbe. We had like the cru- the crucifixion scene and like letting somebody die so that um, Professor Lorimore could live in his like twisted understanding of how Phrasma works. And over these hundred episodes or so, he's. Uh, grown into more of a spiritual center for the party. We had the conversation in episode 111 between where Eclipse came to him and asked him like, maybe how should I approach this seance? Um, So I feel like he's kind of figured out his space in, uh, in Phrasma's will or whatever, um, which I didn't really expect, but because I was, I was looking to play him as a little bit more of a wild card because he doesn't really understand like what he's doing, but now he's kind of understanding it. Um, he's old, man. Yeah, he's getting old. Um, and I, I, I'll also say that he's a lot more introspective than in the beginning of the show, which I've really enjoyed playing. So there's that. Um, I guess, Haley, if you want to talk about Nana Opal's changes, you can do that at this time. <laughs> we'll get to that in the evil or in the uh, zone of truth after October. Ooh. So are you, Griff, are you saying that, uh, that maybe an evil interlude's coming back for October? I mean, it has been a while because of COVID, but I think, I think we'll, I think we'll drop some evil interludes in October. Ooh. You heard it here first. I think we all heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> Get ready. <laughs> <laughs> no, that yeah, that sounds great. Um, and uh, there's been a lot of changes with Sawyer, but you've heard them all, so nothing should surprise you there. And also, he's dead. Um, okay, next one comes from Alex three d six in order cowards. This one's for the players. So it's no surprise that book four is all Lovecraft stuff. But what are you expecting, and what are you hoping to do slash looking forward to in book four? I guess I'll kick this one off first. I'm expecting a lot of tentacles expecting a lot of otherworldly creatures. 
I'm expecting a lot of intrigue, I think, in the way that um, we were supposed to be in Escanor Lodge trying to figure out who was a werewolf. Um, we're going to be in Thrushmore or Ilmarsh trying to figure out who is like a cultist who's trying to bring this whole damn thing down. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of intrigue. And um, what am I looking forward to? I'm looking forward to some creepy body horror because that is a big part of Lovecraftian mythos that um, things happen to people's bodies that you really don't expect or want. Or want, <laughs> particularly want. And uh, that's a, a subgenre of horror that hits me really hard because it grosses me out. And like I said earlier, I like feeling things on this show, even if they're bad things. So I want to be grossed out by some creepy body horror. Haley, how about you? I know virtually nothing about Lovecraft um, at all, uh, to the point where the one movie night, what, what did we watch? Color? Color of Space and Slither. Yeah, so that was um, both disgusting as well as uh, that is about the only thing I know. And, and this is now I expect things that are, I don't, I guess, out of this world and tentacly I guess like I really like that's where I have no background for this mm -hmm. this is not a type of horror this isn't a type of fantasy this is nothing that I am into at all and so for me this is all very brand new um and I have no idea what to expect or what to prep for or even uh what could happen the fact that you just said now this is that there's a lot of body horror like that was brand new for me to find out just now Really? Uh, yes. Color Out of Space and Slither were 90% body horror. But things... But yeah, I guess they were. I guess they were. But I didn't put two and two together that that was like a general Lovecraft thing uh, that would happen. So, yeah, because this is like... That's how far out of, it, out of it is. I know Lovecraft and there's like a Cthulhu. So that's, that's the extent of my understanding. So looking forward to figuring more of that out but looking also forward to book five i'm think is not your answer. yeah i'm not looking forward to feeling ill at the table uh, <laughs> <laughs> i'm looking forward to making you feel that way though i thank you griff so uh he is asking for the players but i do want to extend this both to you and chris what are you looking forward to from book four both of you guys Oh my god, me and Chris have been talking about <laughs> this stuff and what we're looking forward to. Yeah, a because bit. he's doing a lot of printing for me. Uh, I'm looking forward to Lyra's um, Lyra's story being mm -hmm. unraveled in this book, which I will say is is the book where it's going to be. Yeah, that's been heavily hinted at that she's coming back in some way, shape, or form, or uh, at least her, the her story. Is. Yeah, I, I'm I'm very excited for the the realizations in this book. I think that's one thing that H.P. Lovecraft does very well in all the stories is the the mounting realization of things being fucked up. As as usually a main character is is like discovering things about a town or things about a you know, mysterious entity, and uh, each new realization is horrifying and more horrifying. So, I think that's what's really gonna make book four fun is the intrigue behind the town, and then you guys just realizing these things happening and just seeing this twisted web of fuckery 
Yeah, so I'm I'm fairly new on the scene of Lovecraft stuff. I only started like reading and consuming it about a year ago, but I've been I've realized it's something I liked and I've voraciously consumed it since I've started into it. Part of what makes book four seems seem difficult to me is that uh, you you already have players who realize that there are Lovecraftian elements in this. Generally, you know, I think it would be for people to come in unaware is is kind of the most Lovecraft exposure to like a Lovecraft story. What I'm really excited for is the the very I think Griffin put it well the sort of mounting realizations. There, there's a very slow burn of ominous reveals that are indirectly tied to whatever is happening here. I think that's a really important part of any Lovecraft storytelling is the the mounting apprehension that you get when you get further and further into the story of what's happening in a certain place, and then the final pull of the veil, the true reveal of a cosmic horror that's happening in this realm. That is the, the kind of the key point I'm really excited for. Um, it's, it's kind of common in all of his stuff that I have a feeling is, is going to happen in book four to a very dramatic effect. So I have no idea what's happening, but I'm very, very motivated to listening for that. Yeah, that definitely is a, a common theme that uh, characters get into something and then too late they realize what actually is at play and it just blows their mind. Yeah. All right, we got a little bit of a lightning round of questions from an old friend of the show. This is Sean. You might know him as Eldritch Dream. Um, he's got a question for Griffin Haley, uh, a little bit of a combo question. If Eclipse hits corruption level three, would there be a new character in the group or would Eclipse be played as Vance's possession corruption? So effectively, does Eclipse stick around once Vance takes over or is that even possible? So I've thought about this and I think the answer was very different earlier on in the corruption than it is now. I don't know. I feel like the two characters have become sort of symbiotic at this point. And it's kind of hard to think about what Eclipse would be as a character without Vance. I, I see Vance a lot less as a villain than I did in book one. Right. Like they're, they're growing together. And I think that's obviously that's intentional by me as, as running him. But I think they've made deals, they've made plans, they've, you know, Vance is like tolerating Matumbe at this point where he was hating Matumbe at the beginning and he's not winning him over not necessarily like scheming as hard as he was at the beginning because he knows that Eclipse is evil and he knows that he has something that she wants and so he doesn't have to scheme anymore to get her to do what he wants yeah and I mean like realistically I guess I've thought about this before what does Vance actually want to do? At this point, he's in prison for so long. He's been dead for a long time. What connections does he really have? Like, what would he do if he was out in the world? Let's say he was not a, he was never dead. Um, and it was only in like somehow, I don't know, maybe he was an elf so he can live for a long time, right? If And we found him and he actually went free instead of us killing him. What would he have done realistically? What, killed some more people aimlessly? Like Continued Moida. Right, but like even then at this point, like, he is now. I, I don't. I just. I don't see. I don't see him continuing to do that because with Eclipse, I mean, he gets to murder people as much as he wants. Still, mm-hmm. um, it's just not. 
anyone he wants. Yeah, I think you got to think about him as a character that also has a backstory and also has a history and a past and all of that. And and that's where, you know, you get you get like the flashbacks to Vance mm-hmm. and he has motivations outside of murder. And I think that's that's something that as it slowly gets revealed is is kind of be going to be a part of what would happen if Eclipse reaches stage three. Yeah, and that's, I, I, I understand he has motivations. I guess my my point is he was in a prison for so long and a ghost it makes me wonder, has his motivations changed or gone? And so that's where, to me, that's that's how my head goes. But um, I, I think that it would be very interesting. I, I could also see, and again, it's up to Griffin ultimately, but I could also see it being a weird combo where maybe she he stays around for a while and then leaves due to whatever backstory right yeah i think it's kind of funny to think earlier on like i would threaten you guys with this like oh if he gets control like he's gonna tpk the party and i don't really think that for him as a character that's really a possibility anymore you know what i mean i don't think through the development that he's had that he would just oh I'm just gonna kill everybody and leave I do think uh, if if he takes over with Ikmer who is the only one who truly knows what happened mm-hmm. around I think that there is a small part of Eclipse that thinks in the back of her head and leaves it there the if we just got rid of him, that would solve that concern. Um, and I would be fearful that, I mean, maybe now it's not a TPK, but I would be fearful that that still would be considered a risk to him like, and potentially him out, which that's my one fear now. I don't feel as bad about, I don't think there'd be a TPK as much now, but. Yeah, I, uh, I particularly have liked seeing him grow in, in a strange way. Um, very adversarial to the party turning to symbiotic um i mean as as far as i know we've kind of satisfied what he wants he wants to leave the part or he want he wanted to leave the prison and once he left the prison you know he's kind of a psychotic axe murderer he wants to keep killing people with an axe well we've been doing that so um you know it might not be what exactly he envisioned but he's kind of fulfilling a desire um we'll see what that means when and if uh, Eclipse fails enough of those corruption saves, we'll have a real answer for you, Sean. We'll figure it out. <laughs> uh, but it's 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 been it's been interesting, and my answer today is very different than the answer that I would have had a year and a half ago. Let's just put it that way. Like absolutely, absolutely changed. All right, we got a couple questions for me, really quick. So for Steve, you are the tallest in your group, but can you see Shaq slash Matumbe eye to eye? No, he's a foot taller than I am. All right. Uh, also for Steve, <laughs> no, he's a foot taller than I am. Also for Steve, uh, I know you got skills, man, but which one is your favorite? That's a great question. Yeah. Um, very difficult to answer. I really like perception and all my knowledge checks, but I feel like right now I get the most adrenaline coursing through my veins when I roll that disable device. <laughs> Is it my favorite check of all time? I'm not sure, but I get the most thrill from it. So that's my answer for right now, disabled device. That'll probably change in a couple months or whatever, but oh boy, every time it comes up, I'm on the edge of my seat. Yeah, when you need it, you need it. I mean, you know. one, it's one of, it's one of the few that I feel like you really have to keep up with that skill because it scales so 
ridiculously high in first edition. It's only going to matter twice a book, but when it matters, it matters. Yeah. Um, the last one from Sean is actually for Griff. What do you think is the biggest thing this party has missed out on in the game so far? I don't know if he, he means like a, a, a plot thread or a loot item or something, but what's out yeah. there that we didn't see? I think in in Feldgrau, you missed anything that was in any of the side buildings. So mm-hmm. there's a decent bit of loot that you missed out on. Uh, there was a lot of loot that you but missed out on. But also, I was not trying to spend any more time. No, no. And it, it, it wouldn't have made sense to be bopping building to building. There's a lot of loot and kind of lore stuff that you missed out on from not going into the private quarters of Schloss Cromark. Mm-hmm. From a prison perspective, I really don't think you missed out on a ton. We we swept the prison yeah. pretty good, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so I would say you probably could have learned more about Alpon Karamark. A decent bit more, actually. Mm-hmm. Which might have made your your choices at the end of that book a little different. But because I've tweaked book three so much, I feel like you guys are still like wealth by level where you would have been. Yeah. I I don't feel underpowered. And I know I I think my companions probably say about the same. All right, well, then I guess we're just going to wrap it up here. Um, the last question that I have is from Alex, 3D6 and Order Cowards. Follow-up question. What is your favorite organization in Galarian? Mine's the Red Mantis. Red Mantis is great, Alex. That is a fantastic pick. My personal favorite is the Aspis Consortium. I've read about them a whole bunch, uh, reading through Serpent Skull, a bunch of the, like, Milwaukee Expanse and Sargava um, material. They're basically the antithesis of the Pathfinder Society. They do basically all of the same stuff, but they're kind of just in it for, for profit. Assholes. Yeah, they're just kind of assholes about it. Um, they're like the bad guys in uh, Indiana Jones movies. They're like the bad guys in a lot of society play. Yeah. A lot of society oh, scenarios for sure. are like... The ones we played in the Mwangi, especially, which makes sense, is like mm-hmm. you're uh, you're in a race against the Aspis Consortium to go find this relic or whatever. Yeah, and and interestingly enough, like in not in not every situation in Pathfinder gaming are they necessarily bad guys. They're just greedy and shitty, and a lot of their people are terrible. Like you, there are situations where you can be working for the Aspis Consortium and not actively making the world a worse place. So I think they're slightly uh, complicated in that regard. I mean, generally they're bad, but they're very interesting to to read about and uh, good to put in a situation where you have a little bit of moral ambiguity there. I'm going to kick this to Griffin next. Sure. Uh, I'm going to go with the Night Heralds. They're... Who are they? They're an organization that is basically a cult to the old gods, the dark tapestry, the old ones. And they, they're very focused on magical secrets and the secrets of the dark tapestry. So they, as an organization have all of this arcane and eldritch information that they kind of keep to themselves and use to further kind of the end of the world 
they their main goal is to bring an old one to Galarian. Are you and, sure you're not just you're getting a little uh, a little ahead of yourself with book four? <laughs> uh, I mean, they're in some adventure paths. <laughs> <laughs> Cop out answer. It's pretty <laughs> ambiguous. They're in some adventure paths, but uh, not this one. Mm. But they're a very interesting organization. They're they're kind of just a a cult of the old gods, and they're spread out pretty pretty decently across Galarian. But there is a large contingent of them in Ustalov. Mm, I see. I see. Very interesting, Chris. How about you? What's your favorite little contingent of folks? Yeah, I've got a, I don't know, I've got a hard time answering this because I think my answer is always going to change based on the latest source material I read or like the latest setting type book. Mm-hmm. I think right now, probably the the Rune Lords, that entire, you know, organization, uh, you know, in the ancient history of Pathfinder. Um just something about the lore that I've been playing through with Return of the Rune Lords uh, really got me interested in them and uh, yeah I just you know I think any anything else I play you know if I play another AP and there's another organization that comes up I think that's my new favorite because it's the one I get the most recent exposure to well, it's crazy too because that's an organization where the members are like almost lesser deity tier powerful people yeah. that literally backstab and sabotage each other for power within the group of seven. It's like a whole Greek pantheon or something like that. Yes. Chris, do you have a favorite rune lord? Uh, not... Ask, ask me that when I finish return. You know, I'll have an answer then. I just haven't gotten enough exposure to all of them. Gotta be the Zutha. I was about to say, I, I figured it would have been Zutha. Zutha. We're big Zutha fans We're here, big Zutha apparently. Fans. I mean, after after our Return of the Rune Lords uh, diversion, coming around on... Uh, I, I didn't hate Xandergul as much as I thought I would. Mm-hmm. And I... Uh, what what's, it, what's his name? The one you beat in the first one. Oh, Kartsog? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I like the tie-in. Kartsog's very interesting. There's some really cool lore with him in, in Rise. But, you know, always Team Sorshin. Anyway, uh, I saved Haley for last because I know her answer and I know she's got a lot to say. I mean, like, fuck men, right? But, like, don't actually have sex with them. That would be the motto of this organization. And what's that organization? <laughs> <laughs> You're way too excited about this. I feel like they, they could team up with the Night Heralds. There's at least going to be tentacles involved then. Uh, they Boy. they would be the fiercely virginal order of blessed exoneration. And what would you like to tell us about them? Uh, so they 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 do uh, they worship Iomude, I um, and they live in the River Kingdoms. So nice and normal stuff, but uh, mainly <laughs> have very strict vows of chastity and violence towards the men. So. This is wild. This is an absolutely wild group of women who are these these nuns who are super anti-men. Um, in addition, though, they have a really weird devotion to a kobold just known as the Holy Carbuncle, the Reformation. Uh, Wait, a singular kobold? A singular kobold. What? Like, <laughs> sure? Okay. How sexy is this kobold? I don't know. 
<laughs> and a bunch of chast nuns uh, worship him. The carbuncle. Like, the carbuncle. I honestly, and I want to know. I want to know so much more than um, the snippet gives me. They are in the king. They're, they're in Kingmaker Part Two. I haven't read that um, because I don't read Adventure Paths that I do, like. I'm not running, but I've read about them and uh, what I can find out about them. They want me. I want to know more. I want to know so much more because I'm just gonna read some of their notable members because this is this is absurd, right? What like why do they need these people as notable members? So uh, just think about this, right? Uh, Mother Green, that's fine, normal, whatever. Mistress of improvised combat using common kitchen utensils. Dope. You love to see it. <laughs> I have a feeling she would keep at least four ladles on her at all times. She's like the anti-Guy Fieri. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> like her and Guy Fieri would fight to the death in an improvised kitchen utensil combat. Or she's the Guy Fieri Sundra. You never know. There's oh also the merciful sister, Protect the Iron Fist. But then there's also Sister Jezel, the glorious act of headbutting an opponent un- unexpectedly. <laughs> Like, I just like, don't understand. Is that their title? Like, their title yeah. is... The, I, I'm. Those are notable members. That's her name. Uh, I, I go like by the-, the glorious act of headbutting somebody unexpectedly. I feel like if you have that in your name, though, you're kind of betraying yeah. what your, your signature move. True, yeah. You gotta go underground if you want to go get those sweet sneak attack headbutts. I'm guessing it's based on whatever their initiation ritual was. Whatever they just did there, they got named that. Yeah, and so, like... I'm not sure, but the last person, by the way, in this notable members list is Mother Maud, the divine act of wrestling and bare knuckle boxing. I like Mother Maud already. I love Mother Maud. <laughs> Mother Maud can throw down. Mother Maud throws fucking hands. And so, like, here's the thing, guys. I've, I've Googled, I've tried to know more about this kobold and why, why would these, these women love this kobold so much? Him, her, don't know. I, I cannot find anything. <laughs> About this holy carbuncle, the reformation. The the kobold is literally just their fucking mascot. That's it. Oh, you don't have the clearance to read about him. I have no idea, and it's just it is odd. Apparently, um, th- this has caused a lot of like debate within the Pathfinder community. People like hate these women or love them for the comedy. They are definitely meant to be humorous, and they are because this is. Wild. They're fucking boxing monks, it sounds like. Yeah, if, if anybody None. knows that like, there's there's some sort no of like men. one one of the like Pathfinder Chronicles or like any of that source material stuff that's out there about these ladies, send it to us. I think yeah. we want to read it all. I, I just, think all I, of those ladies that are mentioned are in King Maker. Yeah, sure. I just I don't like reading Adventure Paths that I'm not running. So I don't know. Again, it's so wild to me. They are they're crazy. Um, and again, I do think the perfect slogan for them is like "fuck men," but don't actually don't don't like actually have sex because <laughs> they're incredible. And that's a virginal. stance. And that's a stance that we all take on the HOP. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Save it for marriage, people. No. Chastity as a whole, fiercely virginal. Mm. Even after marriage, Doesn't save matter. yourself. Your save body's it. a temple. And you better not marry a man because there are no men allowed. Your body's a temple. All right. I love this group. It's so wild. <laughs> 
Well, on that note, I think we're about to wrap it up. So, uh, Chris, Haley, thank you so much for joining us. How can people find you? You can uh, you can find me uh, on the Discord as, as Krusty Crust, or you can leave me a dead drop in a local park, and I will find it. <laughs> or just just uh, send I want to play Among Us out into the ether, and yep, we'll probably I respond. will find that and get to you. Send you a room code. Whatever you do, don't send him any crows. It gets weird. Apparently. <laughs> no, send me crows. <laughs> I mean, you put the crows on, you are not allowed in the virginal order. Because <laughs> oh, no. it's going down. It's going down. <laughs> Haley, your name in the Discord is just Haley HLP. I don't know if you want to plug anything. Like, you're good. Uh, no, I'm, I'm good. Unless, uh, you know, just if you got any... Uh, any any kind of whack ideas to really throw Griffin for a loop with a cultist? Uh, I love doing that, so mm. you can send those my way. Yeah, whack character concepts and weird occult shit. Throw them to Haley so she yeah. can derail anything that Griffin runs. Absolutely, a yes. Job so far. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that about does it for us. Thanks again for joining into another episode of the Zone of Truth. Griffin, is there anything you want to tell the folks at home? Just finish your drinks because we'll see you in two weeks. Later. I blew it. Come on.